You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. Recording, recording. Recording, recording. Awesome. All right. Welcome back, analysis listeners. I want to welcome into the podcast a very special guest, probably one of my most special guests. A guy who could have been a contender. A guy who gives you an offer you can't refuse. My older brother, Andrew Parker. Hello, hello. Andrew. Thank you. Welcome, man. Thanks, Bob. And that's uh, that's quite an intro. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> it. I really do. You could tell how much I thought about it uh, right before I said it. I was, right. I was searching for, like, what are my famous Brando lines that I want to use without shouting Stella into my microphone <laughs> in the first nine seconds? But, Andrew, yeah. we have a loaded baked potato of a show, but I don't want to skip pleasantries. I want to give you an even more proper introduction. So for for my listeners who might not know, you're also an actor. You're you're the first actor in our family. And you're somebody who's very influential to me. You taught me a lot about, you basically were a major influence for, for me to even get interested in these types of things like acting and movies and performance. And you have talked to me at great lengths about the way plots work, about the way characters work. This Mm -hmm. podcast is called The Analysis, where I talk about my opinions on plots and character and acting. And and a lot of that comes from conversations we've had throughout our life. So you're very influential to me. And I think this is such an exciting conversation we're going to have today. Well, I mean, when you you asked me um, about doing it, it, it meant a lot to me. Um, because oh. I know that we have had a lot of great conversations. Um, and then when the topic was, was Brando, um, it really made me take a deep dive into what even inspired me from the very beginning. Um, I know you've had Julie on the, the podcast before. And yeah, Jewel Sipes. Yeah. And I, I remember being at their old house in Ortonville and, and – watching Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean, which was my first kind of real inspiration into getting into acting. Um, and then from there, once I really started to pursue it, that's, that's when I came upon today's topic, um, when I came to Brando and, and basically realized that Dean was just copying him. But <laughs> as, as a lot of people are. So, yeah, that's that's a great segue into introducing what we're going to be doing today, which is a case for Marlon Brando. And with the case fours, we typically on this show profile a career that could be a, a, an actor, an actress, a director. But we do so by first giving our general thoughts and impressions on the person. We then do it through a little bit of structure where we talk about our two favorite projects they've done that can either be a a movie in general or a a performance. We then talk about our least favorite movie that they've done, and we give some some shout-outs to some things that haven't uh, or weren't able to make our list. So, yeah, this is a a very special person that we're talking about as well on today's special episode. Drink every time I say special. But, yeah, he's an ultimate legend, and they're really... 
he changed the face of acting, right? And there is no De Niro, there is no Pacino, and in, in, in the next generation, there's no DiCaprio, there's no Ed Norton without Marlon Brando. So I want to open it up to you and get your general thoughts on Marlon Brando. I know we both read the tome, which is The Contender, the, the book on Marlon Brando, the, bio, the biography on Marlon Brando that's mm-hmm. a, a bestseller. And we also uh, accompanied that with a really interesting documentary called Listen to Me, Marlon. And I think those two pieces of material really lend themselves well and, and, and go together very well in terms of understanding the person, the artist. So what are some of your general thoughts around Brando having read the material, watched the documentary, and been a fan of his his filmography. Well, it's interesting because it was revisiting a lot of this work for the first time in a while. Um, and I almost felt like, um, like Captain Willard in Apocalypse Now when he's searching for Colonel Kurtz. <laughs> It it, it, it it really did. It, it felt like I was I was reading about this guy and hearing about this guy, but not really understanding this guy and that he was in the shadows. Um, how I viewed him in my early 20s changed a lot to how I viewed him in my 30s and then now in my 40s. Um, a lot a lot the same way that, you know, an artist like Bruce Springsteen, who you and I both really appreciate at different points in your life, their work means something different um but if i was going to say what 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 really touched me the most about the work as i revisit it now is how almost autobiographical so many of his performances were um it, it really seemed that although he often and they talk about this a lot in the book um retreated from being called an actor, how much of himself he actually did bring to many of the the memorable performances. Um, I think his self-assuredness lended itself to being really unpredictable. And I think that's what really gets me the most when I'm I'm watching some of these films. Um, I think a lot of the movies today are really polished a lot of the performances are polished. And his never seemed over-rehearsed or over-polished. They just seem very present, very in the moment. Um, and I find that inspiring. Yeah. The, the documentary has a point that is so well articulated by him, but he says, never let the audience know what's going to come out. And he tries to describe it through some metaphor with a boxer that he admired, where he said, just when you thought the punch was going to come from the Southwest, it came from the Northeast. And there was an unpredictability about this boxer that he wanted to bring to the audience when it came to his performances. And a a couple of the quotes from the book that I thought, and that's why I love what the documentary and the book go so well together, but he says, technique is an art. And we have somehow substituted craft for art and cleverness for craft. And he goes into the fact that really acting doesn't need to be something more grand than responding naturally to something. And that that's something that, that was just so refreshing when Brando came along because all actors before then, there was 
if you watch a movie from the 40s, you almost are like, did people talk like that in the 40s? And you're like, no, actors just talked that way. It was very, it was, it was so presentational and and then here comes Brando and he comes through that new school and he's working with with Adler and and there was really a focus on turning the mirror to nature and and trying to use a naturalistic approach mixed with your imagination and and displaying an emotional range that really hadn't been seen before so the influence that he has in terms of the rest of filmmaking, I don't really know if there's an actor. There's there's some filmmakers that may be more influential throughout the course of history, but I don't think there's an actor that's been more important to what we see now than Marlon Brando. But I think it's interesting, though, that you bring up Stella Adler and um, and Ellie Kazan, the, the director of two of his best films. Um because I don't think there's a Marlon Brando without those two. And as yeah. I was going back over the filmography, what I, what I really realized is that he looks out of place in a lot of the films, um, almost like he's acting in a different film because a lot of the actors that he was working with weren't quite doing what he was doing. But he reached his highest level, I think, on the movies that he was working with an ensemble that was also attempting to to do the work that he was doing, and I think those those that's why those performances are inspired. Um, but I I really I really don't know if if he would have even reached the heights that he reached without the influence of Adler and Kazan. I think they played a really really big part in shaping um, kind of the the mythic figure that he is now. The Elia Kazan definitely shows him, especially young actor and just a, a, a very, at the time, wild spirit. It showed him a discipline that I think was really important. And the, and the book goes into great detail on the notes that he was given right. for Stanley Kowalski. And those are priceless. Detail, and, and the fact that it's even recorded, it's documented through through all the journaling that Kazan did, that yeah. really showed Brando a technique. Again, he goes, going back to technique, it shows him a process of bringing up a three-dimensional character and how to do that, that you're right, is is completely understated in, in terms of how he got to where he is. And so you, you bring a talent and you bring somebody that has the, the creative zeal that that Brando had and you, you bring somebody that can mentor him the way that Kazan did and, and, and then you've got lightning in a bottle and the thing about the book that was not to go into a whole book review here yeah, yeah. but the thing that was so shocking to me was that he's not a method actor and I always thought he was sorry for the pun here but the godfather of method acting and he hated being considered that and really the the, the new school thought was you're if you're only if method acting is is pulling from personal experience and Stella Adler's point of view was if you're only pulling for your from your personal experience that's it's not so enough. limiting it's not enough and so you need to bring some of that in but you need to also do the work that Kazan's showing you and you also need to bring in a lot of creativity and my favorite story from from his time at that school was it's him and a bunch of actors on a stage and they're doing an exercise with Stella Adler and she mm-hmm. says okay you're all chickens 
and an A-bomb is coming down from the sky. How do you react? And so the rest of the, the actors in the company are running around clucking uh, like chickens with their heads cut off, and Brando's just standing there. And she stops the exercise, and she says, Marlon, what are you doing? And he says, I'm a chicken. What the hell do I know about an atom bomb? Exactly. And she goes, this guy fucking gets it. Yep. Like, you guys need to you guys need to be looking, and you, you don't just do the obvious choice. Use but it's not just doing the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt. He, he, he's no, also, go. he doesn't, he's not trying to impress you. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's getting into the, the character that he's playing or the idea of the exercise and using his imagination to say, what would this, what would happen in this circumstance? But I don't need to show you anything. I don't need to impress you. Um, that to me, that kind of self-assured acting um, without the fear of caring what anybody else is thinking, I think that's what made it so fresh and so great. Absolutely. And before we transition into the films themselves, another really interesting thing is how he really didn't want to be an actor. He basically gets into the new school because he's told that's the only thing you're good at. And he, throughout the various parts of his career, walks away from acting in general, or he has the mindset that's like, man, once I do this film, I'll have enough money to support my family in the way we'd like to live, and I can finally pursue another passion. And I've been reading this book that's called So Good They Can't Ignore You, Hmm. and it starts to look at the way we view a career pursuit and you know generally we're always told follow your passion there's this follow your passion mindset that's that's always put in front of us since we were little kids and the book starts to make the argument that you're you don't always need to follow your passions and if marlon brando would have followed his truest passion he was probably going to be just a a low-rate jazz drummer or a a dancer those were some major passions that he had but he just had this incredible skill towards acting that it was like well this is the way for me to pay to 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 um to make the most money but i just thought it was just just really fascinating that he really doesn't like acting and he hates actors and he hates hollywood I think the Hollywood aspect of it, definitely. Um, but I also, I, I think there must have been something. I mean, I, I know in the, I think in the documentary he says, you know, people do what they like and you're not going to do something like this if you don't like it. And of course he, he liked the mm-hmm. money um, and, and liked being able to, to buy himself an island in Tahiti. Um, but I, I think, that some of that early work with with really committed artists, I think if that had continued, his his appreciation for acting might be different. I, I know at, at one point someone asked him be, about his opinion of acting, and he said, they, they asked him, you know, if you were in a tribe and at the end of the day you're all sitting around the fire and it was your job, to relate life to your fellow tribe members, would you find importance in acting then? And he said, that's a five-hour question and I don't have time to answer it because I think that really got him. I think that kind of sacredness, that type of sacredness of acting is what really appealed to him. The commercialism 
and um, the bad writing and the cliche acting. That's what he couldn't and stand. And the shitty directing. Oh my God, that that more than anything. The mutiny probably. on the Bonnie stuff. Yeah, and and, and it's so and hard to find a good none. director. Yeah. Yeah. And and so yeah, you you can see that in in the way his career kind of ebbs and flows, where he he gets disinterested and he gets beat down enough to where he's like, you know what? It's I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna walk for a while, and then you see these moments in his career where it it's it sparks or it spikes or there's a project that comes along that reinvigorates him and, and you get to see him really lean into that talent and you'd mentioned bruce springsteen earlier but bruce mm. springsteen in in reading his book you know he said there's something to be said for for living and you know the i think just there's um something that is um Aging is scary, but it's also fascinating, and great talent morphs in strange and enlightening ways. And I think just watching him morph or watching him later in his career take really big chances is is really interesting as well. Well, I mean, you could look at, and and I think all actors um, should be getting better with age the more that you live. Um, I almost liken it to a patina. Um, One thing I noticed... You know, if I was to compare a, a young Marlon Brando, he, he does look, he, he's so kind of that hero-looking face, that pretty angelic face, but I think he gets more interesting as he gets more cracks. It's almost like watching Brad Pitt in his movies today. I think he's a far more interesting actor because his face is aging. Um, That's really interesting. It's the patina that you get that you can only get through life, through living. Um, and I think it really informs your acting in the end. Yeah. Great. Well, that was a pretty incredible tease to our structure here, which is our favorite movies. So again, we do two of our favorite movies and then our least favorite, and then we'll go into shout outs. But let's start with you, Andrew. You're my special guest today. What is your favorite Marlon Brando movie or performance? I would say um, it's on the waterfront. Yes. Thank you. Okay, cool. We'll start with on the waterfront. I'm really excited. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. And why is that? Tell me more. Um, First, it's ensemble. Um, It's not just his performance. Um, the entire ensemble, the people that he's working with in that movie from, from Carl, Carl Malden to even Marie Saint to Rod Steiger to Lee J. Cobb and then uh, to be directed by uh, Kazan and that. Um, it's hard for me to talk about how much I love that movie without comparing it to foreshadowing a bit to one I hate, but he, <laughs> okay. he, he, he's always seen as the rebel and in that movie, he is still rebelling, but he's rebelling against um, organized crime, unfair labor practices, himself, his own fear. Um, it's a real redemption story. And for me, the movies that have the most impact are redemption stories. Um, but if I was just to look at him in that film, I remember seeing it for the first time and there was a, he comes, you know, he's a boxer in that film and he's, he's this hard guy 
and he's walking Eva Marie Saint home and she drops her glove. And I don't know if this was planned. I don't know if it's it, it was not planned. I can so tell you that. he picks it up and he just he, he sits down on a swing and he starts kind of putting her her glove, which is too small for his hand on his hand. And I, I remember watching that for the first time and and just being taken with an actor taking their time with something really being there. But it also said so much about who Terry Molloy was that although he's brought up as this hard, hard boxer, he's got this this real sensitivity to him and this real desire to love. Um, that film, just every time I go back, it, it touches me in a, in a real way. And I, I, I find different things in it too. Yeah. There's so I, I have watched a video with Kazan who talks about the instinct he had to yell cut when an accident was made hmm. and he didn't. And he's so grateful for it because he says it's his favorite moment in the whole movie. And the, so the glove drops and it, it's just a lesson in being present and also under understanding your character so much to where you're naturally reacting and you're adding a whole nother element to the character because he's you're right it shows the sensitivity he puts it on there's almost this sexual metaphor that's going oh, on which is very intimate. relevant yeah. in the in that moment in that scene the, the 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 hand going in and what that means and then the actress playing off of that and in, in in reacting in a very natural way and that was just stuff that hadn't been seen yet and so just just allowing yourself to react and respond and there is just and, and brando is is one of the early improvisational type actors and mm -hmm. he loved to have that that earpiece where he never never memorized lines he's like why would i bother memorizing these lines and spending all the time memorizing these lines i want them to come to me naturally or or seem like they're coming to me naturally so i'll, I'll, I'll be fed the lines and and but he he allowed himself to be present in that moment and it just brings a whole new life into the moment and then just being so aware to, to where it's it's relevant to the character and the story is is fascinating and and kind of going back to what i even said about the uh the patina too if if you if you notice in that film that his eyes are a bit puffy he's got a little scar mm -hmm. um his face is more interesting to watch than than i would say in streetcar which you know is another wonderful film but i just think his face is more interesting to watch um but yeah that 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 beauty of of being unpredictable like the boxer um and kazan allowing him to do that and finding finding space for that and i think my favorite story from the the biography about that film was carl malden talking about how how much marlon loved the uh the doves the pigeons mm. that he had Mm -hmm. And he said, it's easy to love a dog on a set. It, Malden said that. He says, it's, no one loves a pigeon, but Marlon loved those <laughs> birds. He really did. And I think the most heartbreaking moment in that film is, is when the, the young boy that's part of his Why gang, have to go do that? he goes and kills all the birds. It's, yeah. and, and it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk to you about an, another moment where he allowed himself to have an honest or natural reaction, which is the, the famous back of the car scene with his mm -hmm. brother. We're two brothers. If I pulled a gun on you, I'm pretty sure you would 
you would laugh at me and, and basically just be confused and, and bewildered on why I would do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> knowing very seriously that I wouldn't shoot you. But yeah. he, uh, just the, so, so the biography goes into the way that he took the original text and without removing anything or adding any new lines was able to restructure where certain moments came up in his speech to where they could be more mm-hmm. impactful, but also just making the scene sing for him. Because the way it comes out, where the, I could have been a contender, like it comes later in in the, the actual original text, but he, he maneuvers it around to where it's much more poignant and uh, impactful, but also just the, the choice to, to push the gun away. Can you, you, you've talked to me at great length. Can you kind of tell the listeners why that moment is, is so beautiful to you? Well, I mean... Uh... It's funny because they brought it up in the book, and even before I had read the book, it was a moment that really touched me. Is is after Charlie pulls the gun on him, and he and he pushes it down and shakes his head. Then he turns and looks out the window, and this is not in the script, and rubs his cheek and just says, "Wow, wow." He's so hurt. He's so hurt by his brother in that moment. Um, but it was interesting because when Brando talks about that scene, he says anybody could have played that. He says, it's, it's not me that's doing the work. It's the audience. It's everyone that's ever felt like a failure before that believes that they could have been somebody. That's why that scene's so impactful. And, and as he's restructuring it, I almost feel like that's that's part of his love of language. That that you know, it's funny in, in the documentary they talk about him, or maybe the book they talk about him later in life, just calling people on the phone, and when they answered, um, saying sonnets from Shakespeare, or doing a mm. monologue from Shakespeare, because he loved the language. And I almost feel like when he's reframing it in that way, that um, that he's making it sing, just like you said. Um, he's giving it rhythm, um, because it's 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 not too far off, but it's far off enough that it makes a difference and it makes an impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. It's and I and you, you articulated it so well, but it's it's such a great moment and it's counter. You talk about hitting someone from the northeast when they're expecting to be hit from the southwest. Just mm-hmm. any other scene, it's this explosion. It's this. How are you gonna do that to me? It's this. It's it, and he he takes it a completely different direction and it's it's significantly more impactful and realistic and, and natural and and it, everything you just said. This and it's important not to overlook Steiger either because Steiger's reactions to him and and what Rod Steiger what Charlie has on the line because Charlie knows when he lets him go he he's he's pretty much a dead man he's got to know you know so i i think for both of them it's it's a really beautiful scene this movie won 8 academy awards best picture Best Actor in a Leading Role for Brando, who had never been to the Oscars for any of his other nominations, like Julius Caesar and um, Streetcar. 
but then uh, best director, best writing, best cinematography. I mean, pretty much just just rolled in that award ceremony. Also, there was this is a therapeutic project for Elia Kazan, who had had testified against people in in the communist blacklisting and, and almost kind of a, a, a defense to him in, in terms of whistleblowing and, and obviously Terry yeah. in, in that regard. So just a, just a really interesting capsule in terms of Hollywood history there, but just some, some acting we'd never seen before. So great, great first movie to, to lead us off with Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to let's stick let's stick with the Kazan train because one of the movies I wanted to talk about was Streetcar Named Desire. Mm-hmm. So let's transition and, and we'll stay we'll stay in this era so to say. But Streetcar Named Desire this was uh, one of the uh, only movies besides Network to win three acting awards. So we talk about ensemble, we talk about actors, and we talk about incredible text and. This movie, check, check, check on all those boxes. And one thing that I really like about this movie is kind of the clash in acting styles. And you've got Vivian Lee, who is doing this type of performance, which is almost almost the old school Hollywood and it's it's heightened drama. And I think it really plays for Blanche and Blanche's old way of thinking and you've got this new age naturalistic approach from Marlon Brando. You've got Carl Malden back again, and, or I think mm-hmm. Waterfront was was after. But you've got Carl yeah. Malden. They they collaborated a lot throughout their career, um, and and it's just a it's <laughs> he's incredible in this and he's explosive, and I love how he lets himself go and and they they talk about how brando would just all of a sudden explode in the stage player he'd be backstage uh when they were on broadway and he would be boxing with someone break his nose and then go out on stage and and have an incredible scene but the the way he's able to be this almost tasmanian devil of energy sometimes but then also do the quiet moment and Brando mm. says that the explosive moments are the easiest ones. That the hardest moments sometimes are the ones where you have to sit and do nothing or be still. And I think the way that his character comes and goes out of those emotions is incredible. And so I wanted to get your opinion on Streetcar and well, the infamous brute. I think it's so interesting that you bring up the difference in acting styles because on rewatching it, I rewatched it just a couple of days ago. What really caught me was was Vivian Lee, and the reason is, it's not just a different in acting style. If you just look at that script, if you just look at the play from Tennessee Williams, Blanche's sweeping monologues are so heightened and so poetic, and they're so different than Stanley's dialogue, than anyone else's dialogue in the film. And if you if you know any other, you know, she's Amanda Wingfield in Glass Menagerie. I mean, it, I, that's why I always imagined Amanda Wingfield in Glass Menagerie being if if Blanche grew up, she'd be Amanda. Hmm. Um, but these really and, and, you know, Tennessee Williams is certainly known for that. But these just these sweeping, beautiful. And I thought she carried it off for film so well because that's not easy. That's really not easy. 
Um, with Brando, again, I love the fact that Kazan gave him the freedom to do certain things in that film. Um, two moments that really stick out for me. There's one where they're bringing in Blanche. This is just a simple moment, but they're bringing in Blanche's luggage. And he and uh, one of his poker buddies, they're, they're carrying all this luggage. And, and Brando's got the receipt for the luggage in his mouth. And his buddy's mm-hmm. got a cigar in his mouth. And they're having this ongoing conversation, but you can barely hear it because, you know, their, their mouth is full of paper, full of a cigar. And I, that kind of unpolished realism is what really gets to me. Um, there's another moment where some of the feathers from, from Blanche's boa kind of fly off. And while Brando's staying in the scene, he's grabbing at these feathers. Now, that's not a planned thing. That, that's happening in the moment, but that's something Stanley would do. And that's, those are the things that that performance brings out the most to me is that he's constantly playing um, almost as if he's on stage, and they just happen to capture it on film. And and I really attribute a lot of that to to Kazan's direction and allowing him to play in that way. This seems like a character that would you 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 also could kind of nod and laugh along with yourself, Andrew, and just he's this person who believes in just brutal honesty and, and yeah. to be surrounded by someone that's so full of bullshit that he can't take it it drives him insane to where he really picks at her and he borderline tortures her just because he just can't stand her bullshit i can't stand someone that's not living in in reality and and trying to dress up something or such uh, trying to live this alternative life than they're actually living and it, and it really drives him nuts and and he's he's offended by it and it just well also like because this it. person is looking down on him yes exactly that that's that's and living in his place swilling his liquor as he says um i mean that that moment of of pure anger at the at the dinner table where he clears his plate. My um, favorite. That's how I clear the table. Oh uh, yeah. What and does you, he say about the king? He says something. I'm the king. Or something said I'm the king, and I'm the king of this house. Don't you forget it. Yeah. yeah, but don't ever talk to me like that again to his wife because all of a sudden she he feels like she's taking on with her sister, but then he transitions and gets quiet and and the humor out of oh you you want me to clear your place too. You know, you want me to clear your plate? And, and immediately goes from that anger to the little boy and the humor in it. Um, the versatility of that and, and the comfort that he has in going back and forth. Um, I think that's what makes that that movie. You know, it, it's funny because I, I mentioned Dean earlier in Rebel Without a Cause. I saw Streetcar my freshman year at college. Um, and up to that point, I had just been a big James Dean fanatic, and I realized that Streetcar had come out before Brando had gone through the new school before Dean, and I realized that that he was really taking a lot of what Brando was already doing. I mean, he was trying to find his own way, um, but it, it was that film. And then it, it took me, you know, 
20 years to try to get that film out of my head because I don't know, you know, there's so many actors that are just trying to copy that kind of brute force on stage. Yeah, it is crazy that everyone else wins an, an Oscar in this movie besides him. Right? Well, I mean, I, I have listened to a couple of your other podcasts. You, you know me, for me, uh, Oscars are a, a, a meaningless metric. That's they, true. They are. I just, I don't put a lot of, <laughs> I don't put a lot of value in them at all. Um, I, I, I think they're money making awards. You know, not to say that certain films or actors that have won haven't, you know, done great work. I, I just don't see how a panel can get together and award a little gold trophy, and then they, you say that's the best actor this year. That's, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, you have to remember too that it's not just the film; it's all of those weeks that he had already been performing that role, and with a different Blanche. Um, yeah, with Jessica Tandy. I'll tell you though, I I I don't want to go past this movie without talking about what I didn't know from the biography, how he actually got the part. Oh yeah, I mean that was so interesting to me, and, he, and it shows you the the fine line. He got so lucky. So Kazan wants him for the part. He has to audition for Tennessee Williams. Williams is off at some uh, summer cottage. And and Brando says, can you give me 20 bucks for the bus so I can get over there? And then proceeds to blow that 20 bucks and have a party with his friends and doesn't go to meet Tennessee Williams for a week. Then he hitchhikes to go meet Williams, um, busts into a party that Tennessee's already having, and wins the part that night. Um just by that's his legend, presence. That's legendary status. But but think that's, about the fact that, yeah. you know, he didn't call anybody. The fact that he just got lucky. I mean, if if mm-hmm. Tennessee's, if he's insulted by it and doesn't let him do streetcar, is there ever a Brando? No. Because Yann was already recasting the role. He, he called Tennessee Williams and said, has he met with you? And he was like, no, I haven't heard from him all week. I just think that kind of chance, all of the stars aligned to kind of make this person, you know? But he's this natural rebel in his own lifestyle, and it's this time where people are interested in rebels, and and he just, and he said, they say it in the documentary, but he's like, yeah, the people, I, I just happened to have this, this voice and this this point of view that was very relevant at the time. And, and so, I mean, well, he said, he said I was in the right place at the right time in the right frame of mind. That's what it is. Yeah. And he was in that rebellious frame of mind. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. It's the, and, and shout out to Tennessee, William. I know you're somebody that, that really has always, he's, he's one of the great playwrights of all time, but this is a bitter tragedy. None of the characters will 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 ever be the same. That that relationship, that that uh, that marriage is is totally broken. Even if it's together, yeah. it it'll never it'll never be in the in the same way that it was before. And it's uh it's it's just the the text itself is is also so beautiful direction and everything. So, streetcar named desire, definitely good pick. Good pick. Yeah, let's let's swing it back over to you. What's your second movie? 
I mean, uh, I, I kind of like the full journey. So if I go from Terry Malloy when he's younger, um, I have to go Godfather. Again, the ensemble, but I think that that movie meant so much to Brando on a personal level because I think he got to be the father that he never had. I think he got to portray the father he never had, and I think he got to have the family he never had. When I watch that film, it's far less about organized crime and the mafia, and it's a lot more about family. Um, one of my favorite stories from that, that contender biography is when uh, Francis Ford Coppola got them all together, and this is one of the first times that the cast had ever been together. And he rented out this small room at this beautiful New York Italian restaurant, and he told all the actors to go in, Pacino and James Caan and Robert Duvall and the rest of them, and, and say, have dinner like a family. And this is the first time that they've all been together. Um, and everyone was a little nervous at the table. And Marlon, being Marlon, just um, he, he, he started pouring wine for the rest of the cast like a father would. And then the daughter and the mother started serving all the men and the boys started goofing around. And, and I think it, it, it's become my favorite because it's the full journey of not only, you know, it's, it's not only the film. I think it, it, it's a full journey of the actor. I think he had come back around to a place. I think it was 46 when, when he did that film. Which is yeah, really yeah. So they're even thinking he's too young for the part, right? Right. He's, he's not that much older than the guys playing his sons. Right. So like he's too young for that part. There was the the casting of him in that was just a one in a million chance anyway. But the same, yeah. This almost the same as Street uh, Streetcar in regards to he he had to audition for it because he had been so difficult with so many directors and producers um, that he had lost really lost his sway in Hollywood. The fact that Marlon Brando has to audition for a role that they don't want him for. Um, but the film as a whole, I, I have to go back to the same reasons I love Waterfront. Um, the ensemble is incredible. Um, and in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's direction, I think is beautiful. I think, I think you know, a lot like uh, maybe Orson Welles, he peaked very early. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, in his work um, but one of my I think my favorite scene in that film is is the death scene when he's in the, the tomato garden the with his grandson and, and he's improvising that whole scene but they they didn't have any more days of shooting I mean Francis Ford Coppola had to fight for that day and go over budget to film that scene, but he knew how important that scene was to the story and to the ending of Don Corleone. Um, and the fact that, that he took that risk, not only on casting Marlon, but then on, on fulfilling the story, um, I think that took a lot of courage, and I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, and then, you know, you, you've got... You've got the real jumping off point for Al Pacino as well. A lot of those guys, that was very career making. Even du- Robert Duvall had done a few things, but that was something that definitely 
gets here his career going in a different way all of them had, had been in hollywood and had done a few projects but this really makes them cemented as as big players and they were all very excited and and this was a time where it really doesn't happen like that where a a, a drama is the hottest movie of the year but it made millions of dollars there's lines around the block to see that and it's just really interesting to think about hollywood at a time like that versus kind of what we see today and I love, speaking of character and plot, I love, and there's so much attention paid to Vito, the contrast of Vito versus Michael, yeah. right? Because Vito is so, he's 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 doing the, the crime to, to give his family a better life. And I think he loves Michael because Michael's the only person that's n- not about that lifestyle. And He's and untouched the, that, that at the beginning. Where, yeah, and, and the, but he's waiting for Michael for the picture, and, and Michael's his favorite son because Michael's the one that that isn't that that isn't glorifying this, and and he's 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 not about the family business, and and, and he loves that fact, and and so he, and but really, the the approach to have Vito be almost this, um, not a bad guy. He's not a bad guy gangster. He's this almost gentle hero who is is family first and and this is something that i'm doing to give my family a better life so we don't have to struggle we don't have to be under the heel of somebody else and then you look at how michael's approach to it is and 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 michael really starts to get into the family lifestyle when he starts to understand the power and he starts to neglect his family and you you carry that into to movie two and there is definitely a, a contrast between Vito Corleone and Michael Corleone that I think is really interesting to think about in terms of both of their approaches. They're they're definitely two ends, two different ends of the spectrum. And I think Vito is more of a hero. And, and when you look at Godfather and if you actually look at it contextually, Michael is kind of a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it's not only the, a question of the characters, but also of the times that they're living in. Um, it, it's not only a family story, it's an American story in that regard. Michael just has different things to deal with than his dad did. And, you know, when when the patriarch of a family dies, and, and I've seen this in my own family, I don't know about you and yours, but there's a splintering. Um... And I think, I don't know if anybody's prepared for that. So, yeah, I mean, Michael does go, f- it's, it's you know, the classic Star Wars story where he almost goes from the light to the dark. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm not sure that that family survives without him being that ruthless. Um, the, 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 the irony of it all, you know, and I talked about Brando bringing so much of himself to the roles. It, you see what happens to to Vito's family, Sonny dying, um, his son dying, his his daughter getting into a marriage where she's where where she's being beat, and then I look at, and then he goes to Michael and he says, "I never wanted this for you." Then you look at Brando, and you look at his son Christian, you know, and going to prison for murder. You look at his daughter Cheyenne committing suicide. You see how he never wanted that for his children. He was trying to give them a better life. And it no matter what happened, you, you can't control it. 
I think the parallels between those two men um, being Vito Corleone and Marlon Brando are, are kind of ironic. It's really well said. In terms of some of his his choices too, do you have a favorite moment? Do you have a favorite scene that you think is is the most captivating in this i i love the garden scene when he allows himself to have a he he starts a thought and then yeah. suppresses it and changes yes. but oh you mean with with michael at the end yeah in the garden where where he's, you can almost see the, the alzheimer's end, says, whoever comes to you you'll know who you can the... see the alzheimer's starting to set in yeah Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I think as far as a moment goes that touches me every time i see it it's where he's recovering and he comes down to uh to see tom tom hagan and ask him about what's happening and he asks him he finally asks him about michael and tom tells him that it was michael that that killed the cop and he doesn't even say anything it's the look that comes over his face because like you said, he wanted so much more for Michael and now he knows that that's not going to happen and that Michael's going to have to follow in his footsteps. Um, that scene between Robert Duvall and, and Brando, I think that one is the one that kind of touches me every time I see it. And then, yeah, you've got the, you've had your drink, the, the, yeah. the news with Sonny. And everything. Tell me about yeah, Sonny, yeah. You just, you see Sonny. the family, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. And and back to the point where it's it's easy to expl- explode sometimes. It's easier to be a man, slap Johnny Fontaine across the face. Is it, that's really the only time moments. he does that. He's really even keeled, which is very similar to Michael. Michael and him are very yeah. subdued. They're very controlled. They're very calm under under the stress of, of that role. And Sonny's the hothead. Sonny's the guy flying off the handle and smashing the cameras and, and, you know, slapping everyone around. And obviously Fredo would, <laughs> for a different day. But uh, I think, you know, Michael and him, he can see a lot of himself in Michael and in the way that they both a- approach their life in rhythms, right? Certainly. Yeah, and, 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 and Mike even brings up several times about what Pop would do and how Pop did this and how Pop did that. Um, you know, the interesting thing is that they originally wanted James Caan for Michael. And he knew he was wrong for it. And he knew he was right for Sonny. So when he auditioned for Michael Corleone, he blew the audition on purpose. He, he was screwing off. Because nobody knew who Pacino was at the time anyways. Um, and, and they didn't want to give it to an unknown. And, uh, you know, James Caan was almost acting like his older brother offstage before they even got on the film together. Um, it's That's, interesting though because you know we've watched Pacino's career, and then he ends up being known as the explosion guy. But as as Michael, he's so restrained. You know, the, uh, may, maybe a couple of the only blowups are are in maybe godfather 2 where he yells at Kay and says you will not take my family or is that at the end of one i don't remember but no that's that's in two where she yeah. tells him the abortion and this sicilian thing and then he 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 and then there you also that you broke my heart yeah he starts to show a little more but you're right it's he's it's it's so 
nuanced. It's it's a lot smaller. You almost don't recognize Pacino in that sometimes, knowing knowing how he is now. But yeah, definitely in his father's image, which is something that they crafted, I'm sure, in rehearsal and, and had a lot of discussions about. Yeah. So this this uh, movie only had two weeks of rehearsal before they started shooting. So pretty incredible what you can get done in 14 days. And you know that that's a testament, I think, to that early thing of go have dinner as a family, learn how to be a family together, and the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, the uh, another thing that they had him do, and, and and Brando really was into the process that they went through with this movie and creating the ensemble. But he had them all do different characters, do kind of how they first met. Yeah. And how they it just just different characters throughout the movie. Here, here's the scene where Vito first meets Tom or something, and they'll 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 do a scene like that just so the character, just so the actors when they're in these scenes now have something to reference back to, have have a, an arc in terms of the relationship in which they're dealing in, because obviously this movie is taking place in well into these relationships. So I thought that was an interesting exercise as well. And can you imagine taking that time today? I just don't think they would. I don't think a lot of directors have the courage to take that time, and I don't think a lot of actors have the craft to do it. Film actors, so, at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, I think we, I think we did Godfather some some service, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's keep the ball bouncing. I'm going to bring up Apocalypse Now. You had oh, yeah. teased it a little bit with Kurtz earlier, but. Yeah. There is war movies, and then there is <laughs> Apocalypse Now. And this movie still haunts me. It still horrifies me, pun intended. And he's... Kurtz is... Kurt, man, how long is it before we even get to Kurtz? We're floating down that river for almost two and a half hours before yeah. we even get to meet him. But he's... When I think of Apocalypse Now, I think of, I think of Marlon Brando in those big black pajamas. And... <laughs> I I just the the way he's able to maneuver those monologues, which are just crazy to even get your head around, and the the just the way he's able to embody that darkness. He's mm. I think Brando said I that Kurtz is the heart of darkness, and yeah. he's mysterious. And the way he suggested to Coppola that they they light him in light and shadow so you can't even get a full sense of his figure and there's also people who argue that's because brando was so fat they didn't want to show this this man that's been living in in the jungle for all this time uh, is is significantly larger than what his picture shows but i think in general this movie is just crazy just the stories behind it where coppola almost committed suicide a couple times and and the Martin Sheen had a heart attack, and what it took to film this during a civil war in the Philippines. And I think Lawrence Fishburne lied about his age to get on the set to get in the to set. even work just, on it. Yeah, all these Coppola films just have there, there's books written just on the process of making the film in general, let alone what's happening. But then, to well, what did Coppola say that this isn't a film about Vietnam? This film was Vietnam. <laughs> this film is Vietnam. Is Vietnam? Yeah. yeah. It's it's a uh, yeah a little pretentious, but right. it uh it it's just it's it and then it turns around and wins the Palme d'Or at Cannes, you know. So it's it's just crazy, and I know you don't you don't subscribe to the award <laughs> things, uh, but it's I just think this movie is just so many images and and it's just burned in your skull, 
in, in, in terms of the, the some moments in this movie. And I also love the Doors soundtrack with it. Yeah. I love Robert Duvall again. What a what a great moment for him and kind of the the western part of that movie. But what do you Probably think about serve. this? Um, you know, it's interesting you bring up Brando's monologues. I just listening, especially in that documentary, listen to me Marlon. I I wonder how far off what Kurtz was saying is from how Brando actually feels about the world himself. Um, I actually don't think Kurtz is that crazy. I I do think, you know, he goes and cuts people's heads off and, you know, certainly that 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 doesn't show sanity. But what he's actually saying about the world, what he tells Willard that he's a he's a grocery clerk here to collect a bill. He's not a soldier. And I, I think there's some truth to, to that. Um, but being in the shadows, you know, his weight, it, it went, he seems like a Buddha to me, but like the shadow side of the Buddha. That, that, that's what he seems like, is this, this bald, fat man sitting in the middle of the jungle um, contemplating and meditating about, about what the world is. Um, like you said, that, I, don't, I don't know anybody that might have seen that film and, and didn't leave somewhat affected for a while after watching it. It really, really investigates the heart of darkness, the shadow side. Um, and then Martin Sheen's journey through the entire thing um, from the opening to the end is um, it's exhausting. That's, that that so film's exhausting to watch. That's what it is. Yeah. You, you sit down for that year, and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to bleed into your week, right? You watch oh, that yeah. on a Sunday, you're probably feeling it till Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. And, and you, you know, saying to yourself, the horror, the horror, the horror. As as you go to sleep, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's crazy. I well, and also just you got the metaphor for that. I think some of the themes in least in, in this this movie it, to be fully transparent with you, Andrew. I didn't understand the themes completely, uh, even on a second and a third rewatch. And so I went and kind of researched what some of the, the points for the novel were, some of the points of the film, but definitely Kurtz represents, and you can see in uh, Willard that he it, it, he identifies with that part of himself. Kurtz represents that part of himself that that recognizes the impulses and, and represents the, the, the anger and, and the evil within himself, and so that's why he's so hard to kill at the end. That's why it's a hard choice because it's almost like killing a part of yourself. So sure. Kurt's definitely representing something within Martin Sheen's character in general, which once I once I saw it, it really made me understand the the back half of that movie more. Yeah, yeah, and and you know maybe that's why it, it leaves people affected at times because you you have to come to terms with your own shadow self, with with the darkness that that resides in each of us and all it. You know, I think that the point that Kurtz makes, it's all choice. You know, it all comes down to choice. What are you going to choose to do? I choose to do this. Um, 
Yeah, I, you know, I think it, it, it'd be remiss not to mention Dennis Hopper <laughs> in his role. And I, 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 you know, I've often thought that Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys completely stole his role in 12 Monkeys from Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now. They, if you watch those two same. characters, they're the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Hopper's clearly on drugs during the, the shooting. Of, and they, they, but everyone was on drugs during the yeah. speaking of writing a novel about the making of a film. I mean, these, these actors were going back and getting just absolutely annihilated during their downtime. And <laughs> it was a whirlwind from, from the stories that are coming out of the filming of this movie. But it's definitely a, a captivating story. See, I think that's what Coppola actually meant when he said this film is Vietnam in regards to making it was a war. Actually making it was so difficult. It was like being in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. Lots of lots of footage. We, there's probably a nine-hour cut there that at, at first glance, but I know the redux has come out and then a director's cut, and, and I've, I think I've watched the redux before with yeah. the the French plantation scene and things, but yeah, yeah. it's uh, that, which is an I, interesting I, scene. It's an interesting, that French plantation. It's a very interesting scene. And then the, the playboy scene with, mm-hmm. with the, the chef, but I, I love the, um, I the, the, the scene that just always messed with me was the scene where she runs to grab the puppy. On oh the, yeah. The boat. And you see Sheen, shoot her down they're trying to take her to and it's like anything that's not on the way of my mission but you start to see the duality between him and what he's seeking with kurtz you can see that kind of ruthlessness in him and then just the the guy with the puppy just breaking down on that boat and then i think just a few moments later is when fishburn gets taken out and you get the, the voice recording from his mother over his his dead body his blood spilling out into that boat those you've got that calm before the storm and then it so just crazy. all hell breaks loose. It really does. Yeah. yeah. So. Ah, well, I feel emotionally drained just talking about that movie. So if you haven't seen it, I, the check thing it is, out. I watch it. I literally watch it every time it's on. If it's on TV, I flip over to it. I really do. I can't help myself. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we've talked about our bests. Every career has a thorn every rose has a thorn every career has a thorn what's your least favorite marlon brando movie andrew i'm not sure we we might agree on this because we've had some dialogue but um the wild one movie is not good it is and and the thing is it has this cult status and i don't understand why um it's offensively bad um (laughs) it really is it it really is i mean I feel like the girl in the story. Well, first of all, when I compare it to my favorite film, when I talk about Brando rebelling and on the waterfront and it meaning something, in Wild One, the most famous quote is, What are you rebelling against? What do you got? got? That's just annoying. That's just a punk kid who doesn't have any purpose at all. And he's fighting for a second place motorcycle trophy that he stole stole (laughs) and the most offensive part of that film is at the very end after the girl helps him get out of prison this girl that he's beaten and nearly raped he says sorry by giving her 
the stolen second place trophy as if that was worth anything. It, it it's it's so bad. And then you've got the world's worst green screen going on with the motorcycle rides, especially when it killed the old man. Oh god, so bad. They, it's. And, and just there's really no likable characters and not that not nothing movies need to have likable characters but it's just the and it's brando's doing something new but just the rest of the ensemble man it 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 feels like a high school production man it's just i have to the, say the, the, lee marvin as the head of the other gang this is a young lee marvin i liked him <laughs> he's the only part of the film i like he he's like a young tom waits in that film. Yeah, it's like a little, yeah. You know? And I could tell that Lee Marvin knew that that film was garbage, and he was goofing around. Like, and he well, was probably drunk. Might as drugged. well go for broke here. Exactly. Yeah, how did that get, how did that get cult status? Because I've always heard the, what do you got? My dad talks about what do you got all the time. It's well, Brando you... in the leather jacket and on a motorcycle. And, and, and that just hadn't, hadn't really been done yet. That, that. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I actually was, when we talked about it before, I was comparing it to Rebel without a cause. You've got, you're, you're, you're trying to explore young teen angst in the 50s. And all you did was put out a bunch of punks who the adults weren't even that angry with. They, all the adults in Wild One are really patient with them. And they're like, just, you know, they're trying to be nice. And these kids are just jerks and we're supposed to feel something about it. Whereas in Rebel Without a Cause, you have young love, you have young identity, you have James Dean who's trying to fit into a, a new school and a new neighborhood, and his, he's, he's not getting support from his mother or his father. That tells a far truer story and has far more relatable characters, and it's told with a lot more truth and heart, where Wild One is just a bunch of punks on their motorcycles for no reason. <laughs> For a second place stolen motorcycle trophy. Johnny, Johnny, you got that trophy? It's like, what? Yeah. I, I really wanted him to get arrested at the end. I did. <laughs> yeah, just you know, put him in jail. Put everyone yeah. in jail and let's move on to the next movie. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's probably the worst one of, of all these rewatches. And, and mind you, I'm outside of some of the the obvious ones like the godfathers that i had watched i did a i did a, a big after reading that book the contender i've done a, a whole renaissance of of watching all of brando's stuff and it's it really is surprising how bad this movie is given <laughs> it was it was something that was kind of on the you had to watch it right it was it's this it's like one of the it's like the first iconic movie that he's in and it's just like wow this movie is is really bad but i think all these um, years i inherently knew and just didn't watch it because same with you i hadn't watched it up until we were going to do this this podcast and i was so disappointed i was i was disgusted by that film i really was (laughs) it it is it's it's intellectually dishonest and and it's, and if if you're a woman watching that and and the girl that gets beat and then still falls in I I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Great. Well, another movie that he said was his worst was Candy. I did not put that on the rewatch. A lot of times I was 
just for the sake of time watching movies that were good. But he said his least favorite movie was Candy. If you've watched that, feel free to call in and let us know. But <laughs> let's transition into some movies that we watched that, that we like, we, we might even admire, but just weren't on in, in the top two. So do you have any shout-outs that you wanted to make before we send it on home? Well, I will say that, you know, for as much as the wild one got all this cult status... I think a lot of people made fun of Brando for his Julius Caesar, for his Mark Antony, and I thought he was great. I did I too. Thought he, I thought he, he had mumbles. great command. He's a mumble mouth. But no, I thought he had great command of the language. And I thought he brought great truth and great emotion to it. Um, he's almost out of place in that film for how raw his performance is. But at the same time, I thought he, he really had great command of the language um and if i could add one more mutiny on the bounty that's the only version that's the only version of julius caesar i've ever seen i've never seen a stage production or any other version just the brando version well it's not not sad at all but at the same time did did you find that 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 film was extremely accessible like could you you followed the whole story yeah I thought they did as as far as a, a putting Shakespeare on film, and and making it um, entertaining to watch. Uh, I thought I thought they did a great job. You had another one that you were going to say. I was just going to say uh, Mutiny on the Bounty. He's hilarious. Um, it, it's an epic film, but I just thought he was so funny throughout the entire thing. He was definitely taking chances, wasn't he? I, you know, I, yeah, I, he, he's, uh, the, the character is, is very, <laughs> it's out there, but at the same time, uh, it, it was so entertaining. Almost every time he was on camera, other than when he was, you know, fighting mm-hmm. for the rest of his crew, I, I was, I was cracking up. I thought he was hilarious. I actually liked his, his final moment after the, oh, it's great. the burning and the, what a useless way to die. I thought that was actually a, a pretty solid death scene too. For a movie I think they that talked about it. Bad press. I think they talked about it in the uh, the biography about the fact that you know he he studied what it was to die from burns and how you actually shiver and you get cold and then he dies with his eyes open. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, not a lot of people do that. Not a lot of actors do that, um, but. Yeah, it's just him staying, staying there in the moment. No, I, I thought his Christian was, was, was beautiful. I thought, I, I, you know, in the same way that Wild One gets praises and he gets put down for mutiny, I, I thought he did a wonderful job. I'll say some a shout out for me, although it's controversial, is Last Tango in Paris, yeah. and I definitely think the, but allowing me to preface the. The filming of certain moments of this scene definitely deserve uh, high criticism, and I understand why it has the reputation that it does. But if you look at it from a performance, and you were talking about something being autobiographical, this is something where he really allows his personal experiences to mix in with a character. And it almost reminds me about some of the things that Linklater was doing with the actors and 
the Before Sunrise series where it was this melding of character and personal experience and, and yeah. allowing that to to mix and it kind of the, the separation between actor and character is is much more blended and I think they, they do that in this movie and I just just for the sake of some of his monologues I think are so interesting I think that the monologue about his parents and and having that and we, we find out from the biography that that's just a direct reference to his own experience I think the his monologue dad, with his wife yeah. I think the, yeah it, with his wife and the flowers I think it, it goes through so many different emotions and so many different tactics within about six minutes I think it's I think it's just really excellent work with monologue and the fact that some things get thrown away some things mm-hmm. you, you kind of you, you rumble over some things get get different accent it's 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 never just an, a steady build upwards there's there's peaks and valleys in a monologue and i think he's it's and it's just also really interesting because he's at this point of his career and this is an incredible risk to to do a movie like this and he really doesn't need to and he's he's still out there and, and i talked at the top of our podcast about the evolution of an artist and yeah. and how aging is is fascinating in a way in in the in the way a, a true artist is able to evolve i just think the bringing in all these personal elements to this character i think is an, is an interesting watch despite some of the uh, the negative sides to this production i, I agree and you know you you, you mentioned an, an actor's evolution while he's bringing not only the weight of his age into that film, there's a beautiful moment where he gets up and does a somersault. To, he kind of goes backwards in a somersault, and it, it was almost like there's Stanley or yeah. there's Terry Malloy. He's like he's 20 years old again in that Very moment. Did, did I have to ask you, did you feel the same way kind of on an emotional, physical level after watching Last Tango as you do Apocalypse Now, there's like this uncomfortable, exhausted feeling after watching that film. Absolutely. It's, it's very unnerving in different ways, obviously. But the, what that movie is, is just the, the torment that that man's feeling is, is not too far away from the extreme torment that Willard's going through. And I think that you, another great point that you made earlier was just how interesting an aged actor looks. He really is not an attractive man in this movie necessarily. He's not particular, like he doesn't sound all that great. You definitely, he's a very flawed man, just the actor. And I think that lends itself to the, the, the role well. And I also just think it's very theatrical in the way that it's basically one location and two people. And it almost reads like a stage play at certain times. You know, like. and a, a lot of people, a lot of people call film the director's medium, and I think in that film in particular, that that director is completely overrated. That it is completely on the actor and the actress in that film. They've done all the work. They've brought all of their own real life to it. There's no real script. He just basically sat behind a camera and pressed record. That's how I took it at the end. Now, yes, was he smart enough to go, I'm just going to let Marlon Brando talk about his life and record it? Yes. Um, But I I really felt in the end, and you touched on it, that those actors were used. They were used. 
Um, yeah. Especially the actress. Yeah. So, um, that, and that's that's very unfortunate. And Marlon Brando catches a lot of grief, and he deserves some part of of the blame to that. Although the, the in the the biography definitely puts some um, responsibility on Marlon Brando, but mm-hmm. it's is definitely falls on that that director. And uh, it's just it. And there's just no there's especially in today you, you look back on it and there's there's no forgiveness for it so won't won't dwell on it much more uh, i will sure. i will say uh the other one that was interesting was just his only directorial swing one-eyed jacks i know you yeah. kind of said what is a clunky western that's the way you said it well it, it, it's just you know i think if if we actually saw his redux redux version of it that we might have a different take on it i i'm always comparing westerns to kind of my favorite style which is the sergio leone um italian spaghettis spaghetti westerns um and the the biggest thing that bothered me actually about one-eyed jacks because it does have some some grittiness to it the score i really hated the score because in every scene it's emotionally telling us how to feel and it takes me out of the feeling of the Old West. Whereas in the Spaghetti Westerns, I really feel like the music that's in it, it, it adds another element of character, but it's not telling me how to feel. Hmm. Um, the one part where it worked in One-Eyed Jacks is where Brando is seducing the young girl for the first time, and they bring in this really romantic music, and you know that he's just seducing her. It's not romantic yet at that moment I thought that was the only time um, but it's just a very disjointed movie and I think that's because uh, the Hollywood cut it and they didn't let Brando do it and I'd be interested to see his version yeah they changed the ending to be a more romantic ending which yeah. obviously left him disheartened and that was really when he started to fade away and it was going to be a while before we got to see him back and, and really leaning into his his craft but you guess who was back your buddy Oh boy! Your favorite sidekick, Carl Malden. Carl Malden. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and and as the bad guy, which is which is, um, you know, it's 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 always kind of interesting. I, I love seeing a Jimmy Stewart or Carl Malden or or a, a, like a Henry Fonda as the bad guy. Um, it's uh, in 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 I think Brando talks about it though. Is is Dad really a bad guy? Um, there's this grayness to that film. Well, it's called um, One-Eyed Jacks, right? right. And each one of them, in you know, the, the the metaphor of we can only see one half of your face, but that, mm-hmm. that's happening on the other side as well with Brando's mm-hmm. character. So, yeah, you're right that each one of them, you're the the point of one of the points of the movie is you're not really supposed to be sure at first. You at first you're supposed to not like Dad, but then by the end you're almost kind of pulling for him in a in a way, and at least that's what they were trying to accomplish. Whether or not it's successful is another story. I will say that the cinematography in that film is worth watching. It. He really um, takes his time, and he really believes in the detail. He cares. He truly cares. My favorite moment in that film is where he's waiting out on the ridge. As the federales, the, the the Mexican soldiers are looking for them, and Malden takes off, and he's just waiting out there, and there's a sandstorm that blows over him. I just thought that whole thing was gorgeous. It 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 uh, was very Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Good stuff. He was originally supposed to be Lawrence of Arabia, but for a different day. 
for a different time. Yeah, that time. wouldn't work. Peter O'Toole. <laughs> no. You cool. want Oscars? Well, there you go. Peter O'Toole should have won the go. Oscar for that. <laughs> <laughs> should have won the Oscar. That was fun, man. Yeah, it was. That, it that's, was. That's the end of our conversation. And honestly, I do. I feel like Willard at the end of all this because this has been weeks and weeks of diving into Brando's brain, and I'm exhausted. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, because you you would you you did the book in an accelerated time, and then so you know, I at least had four months with the book, and you got yours done in in a couple weeks. So uh, it's just uh, yeah, it's 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 a ton. And and before we sign off, just another thing that's underrated about the man and we normally don't talk about politics when it comes to the actors on this but just a, a man ahead of his time in terms of uh rights for other people rights for minorities at, at the time he was looked at as a troublemaker but i think if he was acting today and if he had the same uh prestige and career that he had today along with some of his 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 work in terms of uh, civil rights people would be championing him but back in the day he was looked at as an asshole and um and so it's just it, it's really interesting he he really thought about people he 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 thought about uh, injustices and ahead of his time in terms of activism i i yeah i i completely agree he wanted to do something that he felt was important and that was the thing he always said, acting wasn't. And, you know, uh, uh, there have been certain times where I've felt the same. Um, you're sitting there in a dressing room getting, putting on costumes. At the same time, it's a beautiful craft. But I, I, I do understand the reason that he, he veered towards that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it, it, he had a lot of courage. Um, a, a lot of the, those walks in the South... Um, where even if he wasn't in danger, he was bringing a lot of press to what would have otherwise been overlooked and ignored. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Complicated. Complicated man. man. Oh, the same time. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, incredible, incredible performer and somebody that changed the game forever, and, and we will be seeing his influence many years from today. So thank you for coming into our podcast and bringing your influence. I'm very excited that you have a microphone now. I fully anticipate having you on a bunch more times to talk about other careers and movies that we want to chop about. Absolutely. It would really be my pleasure. Um, you know, it's uh, even, even through this, you know, I say it's exhausting, but it was really fun just diving back in so to all of these things that inspired me and, and I'd love to do it in the future with with you you know this is a Great. big part of our relationship so yeah and yeah hopefully you guys had had fun listening to this as well don't forget to like and subscribe and wash your hands wear a mask stay safe we'll talk to you guys next time beautiful bye bye <laughs>